And so sometimes we're giving offerings before we give the tithe. He said, honor me in the covenant that we have. And I'll start pouring out stuff that there's not blessing, room to, enough to receive it. And then you'll start sowing seed, and I'll give you more seed to sow and bread for food. And with all of that blessing, that word really, that blessing means a flow of words. When he opens up the windows of heaven, he's going to speak things into your heart, inspired ideas, wisdom concerning how to conduct yourself in business and in finance. There's more than just money coming. He's going to pour out wisdom and words concerning you that will cause you to be blessed and set direction in your life. And he said, on top of that, there's, there's, there's offerings that, get, that, that we give that we set. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Well, I don't know why that person's blessed and, and I'm just struggling. Well, look at the size of your seed and the si- then you'll know the size of your harvest. Amen. Praise the Lord. So, you know, we're just taking Sunday night just to help you a little bit. Because it's my, my, my role as a pastor to help you understand that. So when somebody comes and says, well, you know, I don't, I don't really know what the tithe is. You know, we've been pastoring for 37, or, or 31 years. We've been married 37 years. And then somebody in our church says, I don't know exactly what the tithe is. Then I have to say, well, then I need to begin to pastor on this area. Because we want you to be blessed. We want you to be blessed. Amen. We want you to be blessed. We're blessed. God's doing things supernatural in our life, in the church. But God wants you blessed. He wants you to understand covenant. Because in that covenant, there's a oneness. I mean, just think, if you're intertwined with God in every area of your life, covenant, every area of your life. Man, it's just, you, you can't be stopped. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we're just going to receive the tithes and offerings. If you weren't here this morning, you weren't prepared prepared or, or, or ready uh, for your local church tithes and offerings. Uh, if you want to give, if you're making a check, make it out to New Creation Church. If you're giving by cash or debit or credit card, raise your hand. The ushers will give you an envelope. If you're giving by text, the number is up there. We appreciate your giving and your generosity, as Alan has said. It goes and allows us to minister in different places and really all the activity that we do. Uh, Pastor Tasha gave that uh, testimony this morning, reaching clear into Vietnam. Didn't even know that. He said, you know what, I used some of your teaching in our Bible school. That was when I told Tasha, I think he might have the wrong person. <laughs> and uh, it was just very interesting. I walked out the door, you know, and said, hi. And he said, you, uh, I, you know, I was going to meet him. Uh, Pastor Noah, that's his uh, name, that his given name for English. Uh, Pastor Nam is his, Nam is his name uh, in Vietnamese. So I walked out to meet him and turned around. He said, I know who you are. I said, praise the Lord. Um, and you are? And uh, he just said, I watch you on YouTube, and I've got some things, uh, uh, and I've been listening to you and learning some things. And so we couldn't do that without your giving. Um, it reaches into different parts of the world. Amen. It reaches into homes. It reaches into different parts of the world. reaches into this community. Another woman in the ladies' pod gave her life to the Lord today in jail. Glory to God. Amen. And uh, somebody got born again in Meeker uh, this week. And so every week we're seeing people give their life to the Lord, whether in jail, through areas of ministry, or even we're having reports of people sharing in their own life with their friends and family, people getting born again. We're in the time. We're in the sprinklings of revival, amen, that affects every area, our home, our church, our community, reaches into the jails, reaches into different places in the community, reaches into other nations of the world. Our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. 
And you have a part in that. We're connected by covenant. So every person that gets saved through this ministry, you have a part in because you're linked undeniably through the blood of Jesus. Amen? Praise the Lord. We ready? Father, we thank you. We praise you for every opportunity that we have to give, to acknowledge you, God. What a joy. You said you love a cheerful giver. God, when we have covenant in our heart, it's a joy to give. It's a joy to participate in that covenant with you, your plan for our life and our blessing. And so we're so thankful for that. I thank you, Father, as each and every one gives, that there's not just uh, that portion of blessing, that, that harvest that comes, that, that place where the windows are open, pours out such blessing. All grace abounds to them. All grace, not just financial grace, all grace. And wisdom and understanding for their life, for their business, for their home. Wisdom to manage that which is in their hand. They might do with what's in their hand for the kingdom of God, that you might expand it, prosper it, and make it powerful. So we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And go ahead and pass those buckets. Praise the Lord. While they're passing those buckets, uh, uh, we are in the middle of a time where, you know, the Bible says uh, there are different gifts in the body, uh, ministry gifts, uh, different kinds of gifts in the body to minister. And so uh, over the next uh, number of weeks on Sunday night, we're going to have staff members minister to you out of the gift that is in their life. Amen. And... Uh, Praise the Lord. Was it last week already? Or was it two weeks ago? Last week. Praise the Lord. Two weeks ago. What was last week? Movie night. That's right. I'm, I'm losing track of what day I'm in. Actually, two weeks ago, Jonathan brought a great message to us from Ephesians 6 on the armor of God. And uh, it was a great blessing. Brought out some great insight and revelation uh, about that. And so tonight... Uh, Brother John Piccinati is going to share, and uh, he is the minister of our youth, our young adults, and he's also the co-founder of the podcast, J&J. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and uh, uh, he's going to bring the word, so open up your hearts, put your hands together, and welcome John Piccinati as he comes to minister to us today. Thank you. Thank you, Travis. Awesome. I'm so honored to be here. Uh, let's just pray real quick. Father God, I thank you so much. Holy Spirit, it's such an honor to share this podium with you, share the word of God. Truly, I endeavor to share it with you, working through me for these people. Father God, help me just contribute to everything that happens here at this church, from Pastor Mark, Pastor Tasha, all the leadership, Help me add, help me not detract, help me to rightly divide the truth, lean on the Spirit. Holy Spirit, I just ask for you to come right now and work on each one's heart, including mine, to have expectation, not upon me, because that's not a good expectation, but upon you, Lord, because you can do great things tonight and want to do great things, so we look to you and we expect those great things. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Mark, Pastor Tasha, thank you so much. I really am extremely honored. And when I was 
Younger, I had an opportunity to do this when I was in high school. We had a high five. And I remember just being plainly excited, nothing else. Now it feels very weighty, almost like I want to, but I don't want to do this. I believe that's maturity, and I'm endeavoring to be more mature. I'll say this, just because small groups were brought up, and Paige and Pastor Zane do awesome jobs with small groups. Small groups are really powerful. I mean, I say this a lot, but it's my testimony. I met my wife at a small group. So you could possibly meet your wife at a small group. Now, we have men-only small groups. Men, you're not going to meet your partner at that small group. That's not going to work. But great things can happen. And this church has had such a huge impact on my life. My parents and my family briefly attended this church when I was about nine years old. And then we didn't go anywhere until I was a youth student. And give it up for these amazing youth students over here. Hey, I said you guys are my amen section tonight, so you can make some noise tonight. I started coming when I was 16 years old, and I felt like a water pot that was cracked that couldn't hold water. And I started coming at a living faith crusade with the Hagans. And one youth student was bold enough to meet me in the foyer and say, hey, you should come to youth group. One student. And I said, maybe. The Holy Spirit said, you should have said yes. So I showed up, and I missed one youth group in a whole year. And within a year, I started working here. And now I have literally spent nearly half my life in the church, but more than that, I've worked nearly half my life in this church. It's the only job I've ever had. Pastor Mark's been the only boss I've ever had. And all my meaningful relationships are straight from this church. The best man at my wedding, my best friends here in the front row, another one of my groomsmen is in the back on the camera. I'm telling you, there's such a big impact that can be had here at this church. So thank you to all of you because I have been transformed by all of you. So thank you. Tonight, I have a message and the title of my message is Get Over It. I got a slide up there. So I want you to do something. It seems kind of intense. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, get over it. Now I want you to look at your other neighbor and say, hey, I meant that in the nicest way possible. And I don't know about you, but there's a tension inside of me that feels like there's barriers and walls that are keeping not only me from the things God wants me to walk into, and he's so gracious, he's so patient, but I know internally, and I don't always bring him up to other people, things I need to get over to get where God wants me to go, but even more than that, to get things to people that they need to get, and God's looking to me to get it to them. Does that make sense to anyone? So we're going to look at some lessons from Psalm 18, and I want to tell you this about Psalm 18. Psalm 18 is the fourth longest psalm in the Bible. And an interesting thing about Psalm 18, Psalm 18, almost word for word, can be found in 2 Samuel 22. It's a psalm of David, and it's a psalm of him looking back and reflecting on his life when he finally became king. Now, he was anointed king way earlier, but then was in exile and running around, running away from Saul and the enemies for possibly up to 15 years. And he's finally become king. It's time to relax and reflect. And these are the words that he's reflecting about the last 15 years of his life. And I just learned something, that actually the intros to Psalms, if you read Psalms, the intros to those Psalms, and it, a Psalm of David, a Psalm of Asaph, 
And then it describes it. We're actually in the original Hebrew, and I want to look at this intro to look at our first thing that we can learn to help get over it. Psalm 18 intro says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, So I want you to look here and I want you to see separation. Now, rarely are we going to look at the Word of God and want to look at separation because we've been brought into a family, we've been brought into the body of Christ. But David has just been delivered into a kingly role that was spoken over him. That had seemed, 15 years is a long time. That's half my life. I'm 30. That's literally half my life. And he's standing there. And if he could identify anyone as his enemy, it would be Saul. But I want you to look here. It says, on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, I'm not going to call Saul my enemy. What humility, what honor, what mercy from the man who said, I will not lay hands on the Lord's anointed. If we want to get over some things, we got to recognize what's revealed in the New Testament that we do not war against flesh and blood. Come on, we have a great pastor, and he encourages us to look at each other and say great things. You are not my problem. You are not my enemy. And it's interesting. Saul was so close to David. He was his boss. He was his king. He was the father of his best friend. And really, out of all those 15 years, if he wanted to identify anyone as his enemy... Maybe at the top of the list, it could have been Saul, but he said, I'm not going to do it. Just that one thing can help us get over it. But let's look at Psalm 18, 1 through 3. It says, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength in whom I will trust. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Looking back, and he hasn't lost his love for the Lord. He hasn't said, it's about time. It took long enough. I've been waiting. No, he says, I will love the Lord. And he goes into this master class of acknowledging the Lord. First three verses, nine different names that he attributes to God. I don't know about you, but I have felt very limited in my vocabulary in giving praise to God. Twice today, this morning, after the second song, going into the third song, there were no words on the screen. Pastor Jonathan was pacing. Come on, use your voice. Let's acknowledge the Lord. Tonight, after apparently the uh, finish, it was like Pastor Mark's like, come on, let's keep praising God. And you're like, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Good. Very good. Uh, greatly to be praised. My mom helped me with this, and I didn't even understand she was helping me with this. But when I was 10 years old, we were on a road trip to Denver. And on that road to, trip to Denver, I was an annoying little boy in the backseat. The classics, oh, how much longer? I had done that trip many a times. Even me and my small, non-developed brain knew how long it would be, asking crazy questions, just being annoying. My mom says, hey, we're going to play a game. Okay, let's play a game. Let's go, Mom. We're going to play the A to Z game. What's the A to Z game? She's like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do the alphabet, 
But for every letter, we're going to acknowledge God and what he is with that letter. I did not think that was very fun at the time. But let's practice it a little bit. Come on. A, God is awesome. B, he's benevolent. That means loving. It's a big word. C, he's courageous. D, he's our deliverer. E, he's everlasting. F, he's faithful. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, he's good. <laughs> H, he's holy. I, he's full of integrity. We could keep going. You go, John, is that really powerful? Is that really necessary? Well, if I look at verse 3, it says this. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. So he's looking back and he's acknowledging who God is and how he delivered him, but he's also realizing this is my answer to being delivered from things in the future. Why? Because what Pastor Mark said, he's enthroned on our praises. Praise stills and silences the avenger. This is the answer. It got you out and it'll continue to get you out. And just looking at this and realizing this is immediately what David had in his heart after those 15 years. I thought of this statement. David teaches us that the best way to look at our past is to look at it as something that God has delivered us from. We all have different things that we could say about our past. All of us. And there's certain monumental Times in your life where you reflect. For me, I just hit one. 30 years. And to some of you who are older than 30, this is going to get really, John. But when I turned 30, I wasn't very excited. My wife's like, why are you so sad? And this cloud started to come in. Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you buy that? Why didn't you invest that? Why didn't you go there? And it just started to weigh upon me. Like a cloud that sat on me. And as I was reading this, I realized if David under the old covenant could claim how God delivered him and just look at his past as something that was delivered, how much more us in the new covenant at New Creation Church that have the blood of Jesus. Look at our past. I'm all for processing it and trying to figure out what was there so we don't relive it. But there comes a time where you just have to go, I was delivered from all of that. Let's look at some specific names that God was called from David. Fortress, shield, rock, stronghold. These names place David either behind God or in God. In the fortress, behind the shield, in the rock, in the stronghold. They're humble positions. And it made me think of a passage in the next book of the Bible. It goes Psalms and then it goes Proverbs. And Solomon didn't write all the Proverbs. There was one proverb. That was written by a guy named Agur, the son of Jacob. He's kind of a mysterious figure in the Bible. He was an Arab sage who lived in the same time period as Solomon in the same area. And he had these wise sayings, especially about animals. And I like this section of scripture. And I'm going to read it and then we're going to look at one of those animals. It's in Proverbs 30, 24 through 28. It says, there are four things which are little on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. Remember that, exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a feeble folk, yet they make their homes in the crags. The locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. The spider skillfully grasps with its hands, and it is in king's palaces. 
Let's look at verse 26. It says, the rock badgers are a feeble folk, yet they make their homes in the crags. I love hiking, especially here in Colorado. 14ers are amazing. And when you show up early in the morning, you're bound to see some wildlife below tree line. My wife won't hike with me without bear spray. Rightfully so, because my little brother, when he was hiking, ran right into a bear. So you got to be careful. And you go up, but then you get to tree line where there's only rocks. And there's nothing much living up there unless you're another hiker or some mountain sheep or these little, little badger-like critters. And you get really excited that you see something alive. And especially if you're a guy, you like try to grab it. You like go after it. And immediately they bail into one of the rocks and there's no way you're going to get to them. So I actually have a picture of the specific rock badger. <laughs> Check this thing out. This is a Middle Eastern rock badger. And Acre looks at this thing and says, exceedingly wise. I do not look at that thing and say exceedingly wise. And I do not look at that thing and say exceedingly cute. This is actually about the cutest picture I could find of one. Most of them had their two front teeth sticking out and their mouth open. And what's my point in this? My point in this is that we are in him. We are in Christ. And the strength is not of ourselves. Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. If we're ever going to be delivered, we have to hide ourselves in the safest, most secure, strong place we can. And that's in the rock, the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And if you want to learn about that, we have these little mini books called In Him by Brother Hagen. There's over 140 passages in the New Testament about how we are in Christ, in him, in whom, these type of phrases. And the interesting thing is this badger is not strong. You could probably crunch him in your hand. But he takes on the identity. Look, he's not just a badger. He is literally identified as the rock badger because he takes his identity upon the thing he hides himself in. Are you getting my point? We get our identity from the one that we hide ourselves in. We're not just a human. We are a Christian, a little Christ. We have taken on the identity of the one that we hide ourselves in. Praise God. And David realizes this humble approach is what has saved him. And if you look in verse 27, he says... For you will save the humble people, but will bring down haughty looks. So we see that humility saves us, but God doesn't just save us to save us. The very next verse says something different. It says, for you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. God doesn't just save us from the darkness outside. He brings us in, and then he pulls the darkness that's inside of us out and he fills us with light. We've been conveyed from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his son. We get filled with light. And I thought of this, Pastor Tasha, I don't know if you remember, but a few months ago you taught on John 2 with the water pots being turned into water and then being turned into wine. Jesus' first miracle and his first miracle in Galilee. And as she was teaching, I realized some things I just want to share with you. Those water pots, who remembers how many water pots there were? One more, and you're right. What is it? Six water pots. Six has some numerical value in the Bible. 
The value of six in the Bible is for sin and it's for humanity. And it's kind of interesting that the first thing Jesus did was he took something that was emptied by sin and inhumanity and he filled it. He filled it with water. And I know it eventually got to wine and I'm going to get there. But what is the significance of water? Life. In the Old Testament, God delivered his people through water. It's a sign of deliverance. It's a sign of life. I am the way, the truth, and the It's a sign of the word of God. Husbands, we're called in Ephesians 5 to wash our wives with the water of the word. And it's a picture of the Spirit. John 7, Jesus said, out of your belly will flow rivers of living. It's what he did. He filled us. It's the first thing he did. He filled us. But again, we're not just filled to be filled. The whole psalm takes this radical shift from everything that God has done for him, what God is doing in him, and now it becomes what God is going to do through him. Look at this verse in 29. It says, for by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. And this is just the thought I thought of. Worship doesn't just have its fulfillment in acknowledging what God has done for us. It has its fulfillment in acknowledging what God can do through us for him. It's no longer just raising our hands in adoration. It's raising those hands with the same spirit that caused us to raise our hands and extend them in service. And the first thing he says is, man, I'm so filled up. I've got light. I could just run against a whole troop of soldiers. That's pretty exciting. Now, the church is an advancing force. We have a vision We talk a lot about finding every member in their place and seeing the glory of God, but the third part and maybe the fulfillment of the vision is possessing the land. Patsy Caminetti came here, and she had a prophetic vision. And what that vision was was a tree that had its roots down in the ground, and those roots extended and broke into untapped, hardened areas of soil so that our fruit could go out into different parts of the community. Jesus said... The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That's not because hell's marching against us with gates and they're going to fail. No, we're going against the enemy. But the second half of that says, by my God, I can leap over a wall. David said, I can get over it. Here's kind of the culmination of the point where we're really, we're trying to get to. We can get over it. So I'm going to have a definition for a wall. This is my definition for a wall. Any barrier of apathy, comfortability, timidity, or insecurity that keeps what's inside of us from getting to those around us. You can take a picture of that if you want. I'll say it one more time. Any barrier of apathy, comfortability, timidity, or insecurity that keeps what's inside of us from getting to those around us. And people in the Bible had to get over some walls. I could focus on the Old Testament, but I'm just going to start in the New Testament. Jesus had to get over the wall of his family's expectations of him to live out the example he was to follow and fulfill the will of the Father. Ananias had to get over the wall of fear to get to Paul, 
who was killing Christians, lay hands on him so he could receive his sight in the Holy Spirit. Peter had to get over the wall of prejudice and an old way of thinking to bring the gospel to Cornelius and Gentiles. Paul had to get over the wall of his past by ministering first to those who he was trying to kill. And then his past knowledge of having so much knowledge in Judaism to minister to Gentiles. So if the Bible is full of people who had to get over walls, wouldn't it just be a reasonable thing to expect that we are going to have to get over some walls? So more than just a biblical example, I believe there's an example in our American history that I want to look at with a kingdom mindset. And it's this man. His name's Richard Kirkland. Richard Kirkland actually had to get over a natural wall. And I believe we can find five points in here that'll help us get over the wall. But I'm going to say a little bit more about Richard Kirkland. In 1862, he was 19 years old. And he was part of the largest engagement of the Civil War, which was Fredericksburg. 200,000 soldiers combined came to this area of Virginia. He fought for the Confederacy because he was born in South Carolina. And he was positioned at a place called Marie's Heights. Marie's Heights was a 400-yard hill with a wall that he was positioned behind. Then above him, there was an artillery section where Confederates shot canister, which was like a coffee can that had lead balls that were golf ball size filled and packed in there. And in a six to eight hour window, the Union soldiers sent thousands and thousands of men up this hill against Mary Heights. And what happened was, in those six to eight hours, 8,710 Union deaths happened. And many more were injured. No soldier got closer than 30 yards to Richard Kirkland's wall. It was a massacre. And to put that number into perspective, because it just seems like a number, I looked this up. If you combined the population of Newcastle and Silt in 2021, it's only 8,461 people. 300 more people than both those towns combined were at the base of this hill, dead with many more injured. And it was in December, it was cold, and as the day was ending and the moon had come out and the temperatures had fallen even more, the men that were still alive were screaming out, help, help, I need water, I'm dying, I'm dying. And Richard Kirkland couldn't take it any longer. He asked his superior, said, can I jump over the wall and can I give these people water? The superior said he could, and for an hour and a half, he jumped over the wall, gave water to the men that were dying, jumped back over the wall, refilled his water canteen, and all the water canteens that he could hold from men around him jumped back over and gave them water. And I feel like there's five points we can take from his story and apply them to our life so we can get over some things. The first one is this. Leadership isn't found in our position. It's found in our action. Let's look at our hero David here. David was anointed king. After that, Goliath comes on the scene. He's not king. He's still shepherd boy. His brothers are out to war. The dad wants to know how his brothers are doing. Are they still alive? Are they eating? So why don't you go check on how they're doing and take some bread and cheese? So David anointed his king, but with the position of a shepherd, young boy goes to the battlefield. And we know what happens in the story. He learns of the situation. 
He stands in his covenant and he saves Israel. But it wasn't based on his position. It was based on his action. Well, John, he was anointed king. Well, what are you anointed? You and I are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Mark said this morning, he's the king of kings. We are kings and priests unto our God. So no matter if you're a youth student over in this section or you're the oldest person in the room, action determines leadership because the definition of leadership is influence. Richard Kirkland was 19 years old. He wasn't calling the shots that day, but he exercised leadership. Number two, it might be cold, but we don't have to be. Isn't society kind of cold now? Oh, after COVID, people are just mean and nasty. You don't have to be. I don't have to be. When you get cold, you don't want to move. I just want to cuddle up by the fire. We don't have to be. It's the thing about our heart. In the last days, there'd be perilous times. Jesus said the hearts of many would fail them from fear. He said the love of many would grow cold. You know, that's a worldly love. That stuff fails. No, the word love is agape love. Christian love would fail because it got cold. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for out of it flow the issues of life. You can look up the footnote on the passion translation of that. That word issues can literally be translated seasons. So when you don't guard your heart, it can lead you into days, weeks, months, years of your life that you don't want to go because you didn't take care of your heart. David understood this. Why? Because everyone thought all the brothers were going to be chosen, including David's dad. But the revelation after he had been anointed was, man, doesn't, man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. And David is known in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. My mission statement, I built a mission statement for my life, and it's to have a healthy heart and healthy relationship with God first, people second, and things third. Something I have to remind myself, it's something I do, maybe you can do it if you feel comfortable. It's, I go like this, and then I do this. What in the world? This girl in the front's going, what in the world are you doing? Well, what this means is, it's the revelation I have. If I take care of this, God will take care of all of this. It might be cold, but we don't have to be. In August, we had camp meeting month. We got filled with the Spirit, being filled. Todd White came. Some of you got prophetic words. Shekinah Glory came and spoke things over your life. Mark Hankins came. We experienced the joy of the Lord. And I just know this quote by a guy named William J. Seymour. He was the pastor of Azusa Street. When our country experienced the infilling of the Holy Spirit with the experience of speaking in tongues, and it took off in Los Angeles, he was the pastor. He said this, the Pentecostal power, when you sum it up, is just more of God's love. If it does not bring more love, it is simply a counterfeit. So whenever we pray in tongues, what, what am I telling us? I'm saying to you and I, have the expe ex just expectation of Romans 5, that the Holy Spirit shed the love of God abroad on our heart. And we 
can be warm even when it's cold. Point number three. What is on our side of the wall can't blind us from what's on the other side of the wall. You know, there are walls that separate the world from the church, and that's good. We were drawn out from the world. There should be a difference in here than there is out there. There should be health in here when there's sickness out there. There should be peace in here when there's turbulence out there. There should be prosperity in here when there's poverty out there. But that shouldn't blind us from what's going on on the other side of the wall. And a picture of this, I heard this from somebody. During World War II in Germany, when there were concentration camps, there was a Lutheran church that was positioned right by the train tracks. And those trains would roll people stuffed in cars on Sundays during church services. And people would shout out from the cars, help us, save us, in the middle of the hymns that they were singing. And the congregants said, what we would do is we would just sing a little louder. And looking at Richard Kirkland, people were shouting on the other side of the wall, I need water, I need water, I'm dying, help, help, help. And everyone else was like, I just, I'm trying to get some sleep. Oh, this is miserable. This is terrible. Trying to numb out the sound of it all. But Richard Kirkland didn't numb it out. He thought, what can I do about this? What can I do about this? Made me think of how God heard the cries of his people when they were in Egypt. He said it heard their cries. Now, we are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Psalm 2.8, it says that Jesus' inheritance are the heathen. But we're joint heirs again. So there are inheritance. There are people. Are we even hearing the cries of our inheritance? Now, here's the difference. They're not shouting out, I need Jesus. Help me. Because blind and deaf people who don't know spiritual life probably aren't crying out for those things. But they're crying out in perversion and all these different things. But do we have a holy interpreter to look at these people that are hurting and broken and to hear their cries? And then point number four. We have something to give. Recognizing it. He sat there against the wall. Water! I need water! And he looked at his full canteen. He looked at his fellow soldiers in their full canteens, and he recognized, I have the exact thing that they need. Teal Osborne, the 20th century, had a, many amazing evangelists. He was one of the most amazing. Great revelation of the power of God and the healing power of God. And I heard something about him, that before he ministered on stage, he would say this. He would say, my youth students know it, what I have Everyone needs. And what I have, everyone wants. Now that wasn't pride on his part. It was him recognizing that any time he came in contact with people by the spirit inside of him and the gift of God inside of him and the word of God, he had what they needed. And whether they recognized it or not, they wanted it. What did Richard Kirkland have? He had water, which represents deliverance, the word of God, the Spirit of God, life, what do we have inside of us? We've been delivered. We have the Word. I, I did this. I looked at it since I started coming in high school, conservatively, how many hours 
of church services I've been under. Yeah, laughter. Almost a month constantly. Over 2,000 hours. And that doesn't include youth group, doesn't include young adults, doesn't include Bible study, doesn't include camps, doesn't include other stuff. 2,000 hours that I've been under. We have to recognize we have something to give. And then lastly, we got to get over it. He finally just decided, he went to his superior and said, can I go give water to these people? Now, here's what he said at first. He said, can I jump over the wall with the white flag of surrender and give water to these people? And his superior goes, here's the deal. You can do whatever you want. You can jump over that wall, but you're not waving the white flag of surrender. And sometimes we get to that. Well, I'll jump over the wall. I'll be just like them. I'll do everything they do. That'll work, right? And I think God says, no, no, no. You're, you're not going to surrender to the world. You're gonna, you can jump over if you want. And he looked and said, I'll take the risk. And when he jumped over, I'm not going to lie to you about the story. They shot at him. They actually had told the sniper positions, if any Confederate soldier gets over this, this wall, you shoot them. Because they're coming to steal from us. Take our watches. Take our boots. You know, when we go to help the world, it's not guaranteed that they're going to understand it or appreciate it at first. But blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. But eventually they realized, he's helping our people. And they put their guns down and they watched for an hour and a half. And the Union soldiers were planning on doing the exact same thing the next day. Marching up and going through the whole process again. But after this they said, nah, no way, we're not doing this. And that battle ended. So what does it look like for us? He jumped over the wall and he served people. And there was a humbling experience I had in Nepal that really taught me about service. I've been to Nepal twice. Thank you, Tony and Pastor Mark and Pastor Tosh for the opportunities to go. Loved it. Had a good time. The first time I went, there was something I didn't enjoy particularly, and that was the homeless feeding. Because people were drunk. They were high I didn't know any Nepali. I couldn't communicate to them. There were so many people helping. There were more people helping than the people that needed help. I felt like I was the salt bay, if you've seen it, just sprinkling salt in the soup as they were going by. So the second time around, I knew I needed to go to the homeless feeding again. I was not looking forward to it. So I show up that day, definitely not trying to jump over any walls, actually trying to hide and look busy doing nothing so I don't have to participate. So I'm walking around. I, when I get there, there's more blonde-haired, freckled-faced girls than there are actually Nepali people. I'm like, why am I here? Why am I here? And suddenly they start coming in, and they smell, and they're drunk. And one guy comes in belligerent, like whining, crying, and he's got an avocado in his hand. And he's determined on getting this avocado and giving it to the girls that are helping. And the girls are very uncomfortable. And I'm kind of laughing from the background. <laughs> Check this out. This is a good show. Until... One of the people says, John, get this guy away from the girls. Talk to him and try to get the avocado from him. So I take him to the corner, and he's like, <laughs> and he's speaking to Polly, and I'm like, yeah, man, yeah. I'm like, sit down with me. So he sits down, and, I, and then he's like, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm like, put my shoulder around him. I'm like, yes, uh-huh, I get it, I get it, I get it. And then he puts his head on my shoulder. He just starts crying, and then suddenly he's like, Boom, he just puts the avocado in my hands. 
Well, as this is happening, they're over there serving soup, and one of the people who runs the soup says, you have somebody who speaks Nepali? Look at John over there. He's talking to that guy. <laughs> and they go, no, John's just talking to him in English. That's what's happening. So I get out of my, God, what was going on there? He said, the reason it worked, John, remember what Pastor Mark said this morning about communicating with love. He said, you were speaking the language of love, and he understood that. So I was like, wow, that's a good revelation. I did my part. I got the avocado back to trying to hide. So I'm back to hiding. And suddenly another drunk guy comes up. He goes, clippers? Clippers? I said, clippers? He goes, clippers? Clippers. I said, fingernail clippers? He's like, clippers. I'm like, wait a second. So I run to the soup lady. I say, hey, you got any clippers? She's like, oh, I think so. Let me look. I'm like, really? You got clippers here? That's random. So she goes in the back. She brings out clippers. And I go to hand with the guy. And he goes to work on his hand. And God goes, you clip his nails. So that's just uncomfortable with me. Because I don't want to hold a guy's hands. I haven't been trained at a pet <laughs> manicure place. I don't know what to do. So I clip his fingernails. And he's like, wow, this is weird, isn't it? I'm like, it is. I don't know if this is ministering to anybody, the love of God. So he grabs me. He's like, and then he goes down to his toes. And God goes, you're not done. So I'm like, no, 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 no. And, he, and then he get freaks out. He's like, no, no, no. He starts walking backwards like, no. Like, and I understood why. Because I could smell the feet. The feet were wet. The toenails were thick and yellow. So I get down and I stick the toenail clippers on there. And I put all my might and nothing happens. So now people start to gather around. They're like, we're going to get you a bowl. Those things need to soak. So I, so I bring him there, and I'm working on this, and he's, he's so embarrassed. He's like sitting down like this, like, oh, my gosh. And I get done, and I'm like, I'm actually in the process still. And I'm like, God, what is the deal with this? What are you having me do? And he said, John, in my word, I said greater works than these my people would do. I wash feet. I asked you to clip his nails. You know what I realized? John 13 talks about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. John 14 is when he told his disciples, the works that I do, greater works you will do. He said, why do people always believe in miracles greater than I did, but not acts of service? Like, oh, man. So to get over it, what do we have to do? We just have to start listening to the people around us. I'm just going to serve. It probably doesn't look like clipping a Nepalese guy's toenails. What it looks like is walking out in the foyer, not during worship, and hearing the nursery kids going, ah, 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 and listening and hearing if God says, you have what they need. It's watching a parent come in late for Awana and rushing over to Awana and not just go, oh, man, they're late to church again. I have what they need. And being willing to jump over that wall. Going back to what I said, I wasn't going to leave the story with the water pots being water and thinking that's the fulfillment of the analogy. No, Jesus filled the water pots, but when they were poured out, they were transformed. See, what you get in here is even more powerful out there when you pour it out. We get so accustomed to getting filled with the Spirit, having a fresh revelation of the Word. But have you ever gotten something so strong in your heart that you communicated it in obedience to someone around you? And then you go, wow, 
that's even better than I got it. It comes out even more rich and rewarding and joyful when you pour it out to others. And what Jesus said, or actually John said after that, in John 2, he said, this was the first of many miracles in Galilee that demonstrated Jesus' glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And the hope is that we would jump over a wall and give of that glory. I'm not there, but I want to continue to grow in it. Can we pray real quick? Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you that we can be led by you, mature children of God. Father God, help us wholly interpret the cries of the world to recognize that we've been delivered, that we've been filled up. And hearing what the world's crying out and interpreting it and recognizing that what we have, they need, and what we have, they want. Lord, work in us boldness. You said in your word that the righteous would be as bold as lions. But also help us recognize we start where we're at. Serving, hearing, acting with those around us. Lord, I thank you. Let it be unto us according to your word. Let us be those that run against the troop and jump over a wall. Lord, I thank you for being good and merciful where we've missed it in the past. I thank you that we're pursuing after you. We're running after godliness. We want to imitate you as dear children. Be just like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. All right, let's say this. Stand up. Say this after me. What God did in Christ Jesus far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. Thank you, everyone. Appreciate it. There's altar people here in the front. They'll help you get over it. Selves to me.